laugh and time to cry and it's time to uh, cry for Puerto Rico. We can only really cry for Puerto Rico when we genuinely understand the love of God. When um, God saw us way from up, up there, he cried and decided to send his very best, his son, to save us all. And we have things to do too. And uh, have you ever seen news, uh, heard about what had happened in Puerto Rico is something none of us have really seen in our lifetime. Its entire island is completely and totally devastated. Can you think about it? What would you do if your hometown that you've grown at is totally devastated? What would you do if uh, your country that you were born was completely and totally devastated. Yeah. It's time to show love. That's what it is. Time to show the love. Love is something, the other side of love, it's not joy. The other side of love is not um, fulfillment, satisfaction. That The other side of love is sacrifice. Just as I have said, without sacrifice, there would have been no resurrection. They go hand in hand. Love and sacrifice goes hand in hand. So as we are starting this new exciting series on the fruit of spirit, it's Galatians 5.22, and let me read it again. But the fruit of spirit is love, that which is the one we're going to talk about today. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Prior to this Bible verse, God talks about stuff that we should not be doing. Because the law says so. And when it comes to this particular verse, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit and says, for this type of stuff, for these things, for these attributes of the uh, fruit of Spirit, there is no law against this. In other words, it is promoted, it's encouraged, it's our obligation to do so, to live out as so depict in this Bible verse. Well, about 10 some years ago, I was meditating on this particular Bible verse. I guess my kids were at that time like 15, 16 years old. You know, teenagers, they begin to challenge you. You know, they used to think that father, especially father, like, you know, know it all. They follow you everywhere. And when you become 12, 13, 14, 15, they realize, you know, they don't know everything. Parents don't know everything. And they think they know everything. They start challenging me. How dare they? But they do, you know. I mean, you experience it all. Saying, well, Dad, you're not quite the kind of guy that I thought you were. Well, you know, meaning the personality and things like that. So they begin to challenge me. So I looked at this nine... Um, fruit of spirit, and I say, where do I need to improve so that I can keep the mouth shut? 
<laughs> you know? And I realized that, that this is area that I needed help. Among all nine, you know, love, you know, I thought I was doing relatively better, joy, but the area that I really felt that I need a little help are these four areas that I pay. Can I go to the next slide? You know? yeah. It's humble, being humble, gentle, patient, and bearing. So I put this, uh, I wrote that for in my um, screensaver. So every time I turn on t- that TV, t- computer, this is what I see. To remind myself, 10, 20 times a day, humbleness, gentleness, patience, and to bear, to persevere. And um, how am I doing? <laughs> what? Well, you know, you don't know everything about me, obviously. My family do a lot more. I remember when uh, uh, Janice used to tell others when I'm standing there. You know, when I was uh, about to get married and I got all excited with him, and, uh, and I thought Tim knew all, the only thing that Tim knew was home, church, and work. What he was, what she was really saying is that she thought that I had all this nine attributes of fruit of spirit. And she was very disappointed that I didn't have this humbleness, gentleness, and patience, and, and the perseverance and all that kind of thing, relatively speaking. And uh, so I really decided to work on it. And I hope that today as we begin this series on the fruit of spirit, that we all get challenged you know, uh, to, uh, to work on each of these areas that we, God has expected us to uh, bear fruits. So today we'll begin with uh, love. Now, when we talk about love or spirit, uh, fruit of spirit, this fruit is not something that we can touch. The love and joy and peace and patience, is not, it's not a physical matter. You know, the fruit, like banana or apple and orange, is a physical thing that you can actually touch and feel and you can consume. But this, the fruit of spirit that God is talking about, it's not something you can touch. It's not actual physical matter. However, when it's spoken in terms of a fruit of spirit, God is basically speaking, you've got to show it. As if it's actually physical matter. Obviously, you cannot make it into physical matter, but it's fruit of spirit. is something that you produce. It kind of shows out of your body. You need to show what your body is. Hey, there's love walking. There's a joy walking. Or there's a patience. There's, there's self-control walking amongst us. That's what God is really talking about. So if we can have these kind of attributes, not only in the church, in your organization, your business, and your family, think how God will be pleased. You can actually move God when you do that. You can actually find favor in the eyes of the Lord. When you, you know what happens when you are found a favor in the eyes of the Lord? Well, I wrote the whole book on it. And God, it's going to really move in you and it will continue to uh, bless you. Now, before we begin to discuss this particular attribute, love, of the fruit of the Spirit, let's review the relationship between the fruit of the Holy Spirit as represented in the Old Testament. 
so that we can better understand why God is using phrases such as fruit of spirit. What does it mean? Is it something that God just uses, it's just convenient to point out? Is it simply just a metaphor or, or emphasize importance of? It is important, but what does it really mean? Well, if you really go back to the Old Testament, the water of life, the flow of water, is a favorite figure in Old Testament. If you read the entire Old Testament, it talks about the water, the flow of the water all the time. And how the flow of water can transform land, desert, even dead seed, and produce life to fruit. Fruit is life. So in essence, in essence, fruit of spirit is like being Christ. For us to live a life in likeness of Christ. And what is important is that in the Bible, it doesn't talk about fruits of the Spirit. It says fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. It's one. It's not fruits. It's not many. It means that Holy Spirit produces only one kind of spirit. And that spirit that contains love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Therefore, we cannot pick and choose which one we should do or act on. When I was working on humbleness and gentleness and patience and bearing, I wasn't picking on it. I need to make sure, even in those areas, it needs to be up to par with what I think that I'm doing the best or close to being Christ-like. It takes lots of effort. It takes lots of prayer to get to that level. It takes lots of that receiving the flow of the Holy Spirit within us to be able to do that. And that's what God expects us. I mean, we work. That's a lot of work. I mean, when you go to work and work to make a living, that's a lot of effort. You put a minimum eight to ten hours a day. God expects us to work, to achieve, to produce the fruit of the Spirit, to produce this fruit the real fruits, bananas, apples, or what else? All day. Mangoes, it t- bananas, you don't have to do anything, right? They just grow, right? Um, but most of these fruits, you have to work hard to, to produce these fruits. And God expects us to do the same thing. So let's look at how God portrays the relationship between Holy Spirit and the fruit in the Old Testament. Now, before we get into that, I want you to imagine something. That's a picture that I drew last night. It took me, it took me exactly three and a half minutes to draw that. 
and then another one, two minutes to color the thing. So I just want you to look at this, imagine this, okay? There is a, uh, um, um, I guess I already showed you to help you better understand that image. Suppose you're at a temple top, located, I guess, in top mountain, and you see this water flowing from the door of the temple, the stream of water, and turns into river, and is in the beginning, it was only ankle deep in the stream, and then it turns into the river, and it's deep and deep, and then you go another, another 15, 70 feet into the water. It is so deep, and you can't even go in it until, unless you swim. Then you walk along the river bank or where the river are located. There are many trees growing on both sides of the river. The water flows to the dead sea, and guess what? And the Dead Sea turns into fresh and pure. And the picture where who, whatever area this water flows, everything lives. That's the picture. You understand the picture? So let's look at the Ezekiel 47 verse 1 through 12. It's a little more, it's a little bit long, and you need to pay attention to really understand that basically this uh, Ezekiel 47 really shows, depict that image that you have. So I'm going to go a little slow. You may or may not be able to read the screen from where you're sitting. That's why you encourage. I'm going to, instead of trying to make a, the, the letters small or larger, I'm going to try to make it small so you can come from the more to the front. Anyway, um, Ezekiel 47, one, uh, verse 1 through 12. Let's read this. What I'm trying to do is un for you to understand the flow of the Spirit and the fruit. As depicted in the Old Testament, we need to understand what is being said in the Old Testament for us to understand the figures that are spoken, the phrases that are spoken in the New Testament. Because oftentimes, Jesus refers to to as it is written in the scripture, meaning Old Testament. Okay, verse 1. Then the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There saw a stream flowing eastward from beneath the temple threshold. This stream then passed to the right of the altar on its south side. That's a lot of detail. I didn't give you all the details, but just give you a little details. Verse 2, the man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the stream flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Do you understand that? So water is coming out of that temple. And some of you are already beginning to think what the temple represents. If not, wait. Hang tight. Verse 3. <clears throat> Verse 3, please. Measuring as he went, he led me along the stream for 1750 feet and told me to go across. At that point, the water was up to my ankle. He measured off another 1750 feet and told me to go across again. This time, the water was up to my knees. After another 1750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1750 feet 
and the river was too deep to cross without swimming. He told me to keep in mind that what I had seen. Then he led me back along the riverbank. Suddenly, as you see in that little sketch, to my surprise, many trees were now growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows is through the desert into Jordan Valley where it enters the Dead Sea. Did I write Dead Sea there? Can you read Dead Sea there? That's a Dead Sea. It, should be, it shouldn't be blue colored. It's dead. Maybe it should be black. It enters the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will heal the salty waters of Dead Sea. They make them fresh and pure. Wow. Now, what do you think this water represents? I'm not going to tell you yet. Verse 9. Everything that touches the water of this river will live. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea. It's not supposed to happen. Meaning there should be no life on this earth as sinner as we are. For its water will be healed. Wow. Now you're beginning to understand what's going on here. Healed. Wherever this water flows, everything will live. And God gives a little bit of warning. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will be source of salt. You see, marshes and swamp, there's no flow of water. It's just still. Verse 12, all kinds of fruit, or now it's a fruit, talking about fruit here. All kinds of fruit trees will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. And there will always be fruit, always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month without fail for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. What do you think the temple represents? The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. Now that I've finished it, I think most of you probably understand now what is going on here. Ezekiel, Old Testament, is what? It's all about telling us what is to come. Who is to come. Flowing of the water represents the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The new fruit Christ himself. He'll come to sustain and to save us. Producing new. A temple is like kingdom in heaven where Jesus will come. And when he comes empowered by the Holy Spirit everything 
he touches will live again and be new again. And where there is presence of the Holy Spirit, everything will be new again. Even the dead seed. Even the planet Earth. Even our world. There will be new life. In other words, Christ will come and save the world, bearing fruits among us. As I was coming back from uh, Korea, um, I did two things in the plane. I um, slept and watched a movie. What else can you do in the plane in 14 hours? I rested well. And when I woke up, I was still a little tired, so I decided to maybe I'll watch a movie. Turned on the TV or screen, and I pressed the movies, and the first thing that popped up was 2017 version of Wonder Woman. Now, I don't like seeing movies, heroic movies like that. I don't like watching Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. It's like, that's not real. I mean, it's how can I, you know, can I just sit there and watch a, a human being basically flying out the universe, coming back down? It's, it's not real. So I don't really enjoy that kind of movie. But Janice does. She loves <laughs> That type of movies. You know, I don't even watch this strange, not that strange, like martial art movies where the man actually flies, you know? It's like, that's not possible. Why do you find enjoyment out of watching that? And it's just, but it's like, it's a fun, you know? I guess, you know, everybody's love has different tastes. Um, but I decided to watch it, you know why? Because people who watch the Wonder Woman say, Tim, you gotta watch this. I don't, I don't watch that kind of movie. It's just not fun for me. Uh, I'd rather watch drama. Uh, science fiction is okay. So with science fiction, they go out to the universe, but they always ride something, you know, rocket or whatever they call it, the ship, right? And it's, it could be real. I mean, that's, that's, it could be real. Not now, but it could be real in 10 years from now or 50 years from now. I get that, but not, you know, not Superman, you know, going out of the universe without any uniforms, without any spaceships. And, like, it's kind of real strange, but... Uh, that's the uh, kind of movie that I enjoy, but I just, like I said, I don't really enjoy watching heroic movies. But I was, so I decided, oh, maybe I should watch this so I can have a conversation with the others. How many people seen Wonder Woman? Wow. Now I know after this, you're all going to see Wonder Woman. One thing I have did in conclusion is completely and totally different type of movie and what it used to be in the past. Totally different from the cartoons that you have seen and the movies that you have seen in the past. It incorporates <clears throat> the idea of the fantasy world in the beginning. And I was reading Ezekiel after coming back and realized the fantasy world really represents the temple in the mountaintop. And if you watch Wonder Woman very carefully, that's how it's depicted. It's a fantasy world. This 
Wonder Woman, she's a little kid, a baby at this time, and she's living in this beautiful, just uh, picture-like, a perfect uh, fantasy land. As if it's like no trouble, no nothing. It's just totally, absolutely beautiful. And it's she, when she grows, she has this curiosity about the world down there, world that she has never seen before. And begins to understand there are dark side to that world and decides to venture into it. She sees the real hardship, real challenges, the pain of life that we all live in the real world. And she begins to see that there is inner desire in every one of us, every one of the people living in this world, seeking for that hero to come to rescue them. You know where I'm going with this, right? We now know, having read both Old Testament and New Testament, that we've been waiting for that someone to come rescue us, and that's Jesus Christ. That illustration from the temple, perfect place, to flowing of the water down to the earth, the, 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 the ugly and sinful and wicked world, and the people down there seeking and looking for someone to come rescue, like Christ, is all depicted in this Wonder Woman, the new version. It talks about good and evil of humanity. And how we are challenged every day with both good and evil. And here's some uh, <clears throat> quotations from the movie. When she was challenged as to why would you leave the finished land, the beautiful place, you come down to this wicked world, the people who doesn't even deserve our attention, she responded, which I think is was so biblical, and you see why. She said, it's not about them deserving it's about what we believe. And I believe in love. I will fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's right out of Bible. Right out of Bible. Pervadingly out of Bible verse. And then she continues. Listen to this very carefully. I used to want to save the world to end the war and bring peace to mankind. That's what uh, all the Miss Universe contests, that's all they say. What do you want the world to be? Peace. That's what she said. I used to want to save the world, to end the world and bring peace to mankind. But, there's more to it than that. But then, I glimpse the darkness that lives within their light. I learned that inside of every one of them, there will always be both dark side and the light, good and bad. The choice each must make for themselves, something no hero will ever be able to defeat. 
It's your choice. I saw this and it says, God's saying, here it is. But it's your choice. I'm not going to make a decision for you. From the day one, Adam and Eve, here it is garden, perfect world. It's your choice. Fruit of spirit. To have it or not to have it, it's your choice. I didn't, I'm not done yet. Something no hero can ever repeat. I have touched the darkness that lives in between the light, seen the worst of this world and the best, seen the terrible things men do each other in the name of hatred, and the lands they go to for love. Now I know only love can save this world. So I stay here. I'll fight and I'll give for the world I know can be. This is my mission now and forever. What is that from? I don't think this context is from any relig- other religious context. It's right out of the Bible that you and I read. She concluded, only love can truly save the world. This movie contains the message of love, yes. Contains the message of ultimate sacrifice. In the movie, there's someone sacrifices. It's a message of hope. It's a message of a savior that we are all waiting. But you already have gotten a savior. It's your choice. It clearly depicts that only love can win over the power of evil. Your troubles in your organization and business and your family and the church, only love can win them all. Not the reasoning, not just talking about it all the time. It's a love. God is love is powerful statement. It is clearly depicted in that particular movie, only love can truly save the world. It's Christ himself. So what is love? Well, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Let me stop right there. How many of us keep, let's go backwards. How many of us keep the record of wrong of our brothers and sisters? That's usually all 90 five content of any arguments. Yeah, he says it's true. I agree. 90% of all arguments that we ever have between our family members, brothers, sisters, friends, and business, it's all about record. Keep talking about the record of wrongs that person may have done in the past. Easily anger. We get angry all the time. Self-seeking, trying to make a name for ourselves. 
All the arguments. The other 90% is all about trying to make a name for us. She did not recognize me. She avoided me. She did not say hello to me. He did not honor me or respect me. It comes from when we are trying to make name for ourselves. It says, love does not self-seek or the one's own respect or honor. It is not rude, not proud, not boast, not envy. But it is about being patient and being kind. It always, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices within truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When you allow the, the f- water to flow through you, this is what it happens. Sometimes it's not as easy as turning the faucet and expect the water to flow and then you're going to get all this. We had to work on this. Just like it takes work and sweat to produce fruit. That's why it's a fruit of spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit may be free to us to take something to produce out of our body, we need to work at it. It takes effort. It takes a sweat. How do we sweat? How do we work? If we understand to love is to sacrifice, you understand that. That's the work. It's not going out in uh, uh, field and digging dirt and planting uh, seeds. That's for real fruits, like bananas and apples. Well, what, I guess we don't do ap- bananas, but to love is to sacrifice. Trying to love somebody without sacrifice—that's not love. That's just friendship. They're trying to be nice to that person. Don't be mistaken with being nice to another person or be a, being attracted to that person without understanding sacrifice. If you say, I love you, that means you must be able to say, I am willing to sacrifice for you. Then stop saying, I love you. Today, we have watered down the word love so much, it doesn't really mean anything. To love is to sacrifice in the context of Christianity. It means that we have to, willing to sacrifice. Sacrificing our pride. If you sacrifice your pride, most of this, what love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7, will be satisfied. It's because our unwillingness to sacrifice our pride is causing all these problems in our relationship. And God is not pleased. And you wonder why 
You're having so much challenges and pain in your life. I believe in Christ. I've been going to church all my life. Why am I having all these problems? A lot of problems. In fact, some of the problems God intentionally gave it to us so we can be closer to him. Simple. I totally agree, believe on that. You can't argue with me on that one. I totally believe God made me go through the heart transplant so I can be closer to him. Because of that, I'm standing before you. The Webster Dictionary says, love is strong affection for another arising out of kinship and personal ties. This definition is nothing close to the definition described in the first Corinthians that we just read. It's not. When the Bible says that God is love, it means he will be patient with us. He will be patient with you. You may not truly understand or have bearing the fruits of the fruit of the Spirit. God is patient with you. He will be kind to us. When he says, I love you, it means I'll be kind to you. He will not envy you or boast or pride. That's not what God does. He never does that. When he says, I love you, I will not be rude to you. Well, well you were rude to Tim. You know, he had him go through the, the major suffering twice in the hospital, that surgery. No, no, no. That's what you may think. I don't think that way. He really wanted me to be so close to him really want me to bear that fruit of uh, spirit, he caused it to happen. And I'm so thankful that he had me go through that. He gave me a different platform because of that. He will not self-seek at the expense of us. You agree with that, right? I know everybody is saying like this in your heart. But okay. He will not be easily angry with us. When he says, I love you. When God says, I love you, he means, I will forgive you. I will keep no record of wrong. That's what he means when he says, I love you. He only delights in the truth and reveals lights to us. When he says, I love you, he means he's going to protect us, always trust us, always have hope in us, and always persevere in us. That's why we say God is love. When he says, I love you, he means I will sacrifice for you. And he did that. And he did that. And when you say someone, I love you, you better mean it. You need to show that. As if the fruit of spirit is hanging from your arm, from your ear, from your chest, from your leg, from your entire body. So let us choose love with the ever flowing water of life the Holy Spirit so that we can live by the Spirit and keep step with the Spirit let us pray 
Father in heaven, we thank you so much from the mountaintop, from the temple, from the kingdom of heaven. You allow the water to flow. You send through the Holy Spirit, you send your son, Jesus, to come rescue us that you did. From the time of Old Testament, when Ezekiel was written, said everywhere this person goes, everything he touches, everything Holy Spirit, whenever Holy Spirit is present, life becomes new again. And it's going to bear fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Father, we desire so much. We know.